Friday, everybody. Good morning. Got some uh, spice today. Ooh. Spicy Friday. Friday spice. <laughs> no, you are good. You are good. Susan will Susan will edit it beautifully, beautifully oh. later. <laughs> you, 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 you could you could barely tell when she was out last <laughs> week. Over yeah, here trying to be Doctor Octopus. <laughs> trying to do everything. Sorry, hold on. Let me call the DJ. <laughs> right. Repping DJ El Pente here as our yes. morning music always. Yes, indeed. Good morning. Happy Friday. You too. Good morning, Rise. Good morning, Rico. What's up, brother? How are you? What's How is the sunshine state? The sunshine state is sunshiny um you know it's hot as crap here so if you ever been to florida in the summer it's pretty warm oh, yeah 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 that shit lays on you like a do-rag yeah ain't no escaping that it's humidity. not warm it's not warm out there it's humid <laughs> af it's so fucking here we go <laughs> um thanks for having me guys on on friday this is not my normal day so i'm, I'm excited to be on you guys today all good you got us liz Hi, and welcome to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we bring you all the top stories you need to know and talk about them for four minutes and 20 seconds. We are a group of experts in different cannabis spaces with a wide diversity of perspectives and life experiences. Our news is bite-sized and infused with a nice mix of facts, opinions, and a couple pinches of humor. It's Friday, June 24th, 2022. This is episode number 309. I'm Liz Rogan, the founder of the Cannabis Business Council of Santa Barbara County. I'm a brand strategist, wellness consultant, and event planner. And I'm standing in today for Cannabis's favorite grandma, Susan Sores, aka Nanogram. So please keep her in your thoughts today. If you are listening to the podcast, this show is live every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific on Clubhouse. Spark it up with us and over 31,000 State of Cannabis NewsHour members if you want to be an audience participant. And please support our show by subscribing and leaving us a review. Today, we're talking about guns, bullets, and weed. The FDA orders Juul to stop selling e-cigarettes. CBD ads. A Canadian firm wants to manufacture psychedelics. 
is potent cannabis making teens sick and many other frosty nuggets. So stay tuned for the full 60 minutes of the State of Cannabis News Hour. Often opinions expressed in the state of Canada's news hour are those of the individual speakers and not those of any other speaker, the state of Canada's or its members. The statements made in the state of Canada's news hour do not constitute legal or accounting advice, and the state of Canada's and the speakers make no representation regarding the legal status of the exceptions in any country, area, or territory, or of any authorities. The views expressed in this room do not establish any fiduciary relationship. The sponsorships of the state of Canada's news hour do not imply or constitute any endorsement by the state of Canada's or the expression of any opinion whatsoever on the part of the state of Canada's or any speaker. After our speed talking Rico there, audience, please feel free to raise your hands if you want to weigh in on a headline after it's been read, and we'll try to bring you up on the stage. Keep it brief and relevant, or you may get the gong. 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 Sorry, I was trying to find the gong. Here we go. And it's a real gong, just so you know, we've been playing it in the background here. Kicking off the show today is Rico Lamite. He likes to ask the tough questions that mainstream media refuses to ask. The self-proclaimed dopest dad alive is here to encourage other dope dads. Find him on TEDx or at one of his Cannavision events, but always find him here every weekday as a co-producer of the State of Cannabis News Hour. Rico, what do you have for us today? All right, I'm going to try to keep this one as fast as I can, um, but I have to let you guys know there's a lot to it and um, trigger warnings all around. It contains uh, guns, weed, child abuse, and molestation as well. All right, so guns, bullets, and weed, Ezra Miller housing three young children and their mother at a Vermont uh, farm. This was coming out of Rolling Stone by Cheyenne Roundtree. Ezra Miller, the non-binary actor known for starring as iconic DC Comics superhero Speedster the Flash in the franchise's extended cinematic universe, had a pretty rough spring so far. Their legal troubles started in March in Hawaii, where the actor was arrested twice and at least 10 calls were placed to local police regarding their behavior. March 28th, disorderly conduct. After claiming to be triggered um, by a local by a couple couple at a local karaoke bar singing Shallow from the Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper film A Star is Born. Publicized arrest details were murky, but a temporary restraining order filed by victims revealed later that night Miller entered their bedroom saying, I will burn you and your slut wife before stealing a passport and wallet. April 19th, assault for uh, allegedly throwing a chair at a woman's head after being asked to exit a private home, leaving her with a half-inch cut on her forehead. And now in an effort to produce the worst MTV Cribs episode ever, Miller has been exposed by Rolling Stone for alleging, uh, allegedly hosting a 25-year-old mother and her three young children in an unsafe environment at their unlicensed 96-acre acre Vermont cannabis farm. Yep, the Flash is a trapper too, allegedly. Two anonymous sources provided video footage of uh, from April to the Rolling Stone showing at least eight assault weapons, rifles, and handguns lying around the living room with some weapons propped up next to a pile of stuffed animals. They also alleged frequent and heavy marijuana use in front of the children with little concern about proper ventilation. One recalled a specific instant where one of the children, a one-year-old, picked up a loose bullet and put it in her mouth. The children's mother pushed back on the allegations, telling Rolling Stone the actor helped her escape a violent, abusive ex, providing a safe environment for her three very young children, and was quoted in the article saying, Ezra's home ranch has been a healing haven for them. Uh, They may have firearms for self-defense purpose, and they are stored in a part of the house that the children never go in. My kids are able to relax more in 
to their healing because of the safety and nurturing Ezra has been providing for them, end quote. She and her children, ages one to five, have been staying at Miller's Stanford, Vermont uh, farm since mid-April after meeting the actor in uh, Hilo, Hawaii in March. The kid's father says Miller secured a flight to Vermont uh, for the woman and children without his knowledge, and he hasn't been able to see or speak to them since. Hawaii court records show a history of conflict between the parents with the mother pursuing domestic abuse and paternity cases against the father in May 2021. The father denied all abuse allegations and the domestic case was terminated after both failed to appear in court. He then filed a domestic case against the mother this April for taking the children out of the state. That case is pending and the mother says she's still living out of Miller's trap house with the children. For the article, Rolling Stone learned of a sizable cannabis farm on the property uh, with Miller's uh, close friend and handyman, Whitney Suiters, claiming on social media the two were running a cannabis company called Rebel Alliance Cannabis. Numerous photos posted to Suiters' social media reveal a far greater number of cannabis plants than Vermont's permitted to uh, than Vermont's permitted to mature and four immature for private citizens to own. An increasingly common act of self snitching. Suiters said on Facebook there were at least 28 different strains growing for a 2021 harvest. Vermont's Cannabis Control Board uh, confirmed to Rolling Stone Miller's Farm is not among the state's 25 licensed cultivators cleared to grow more than six plants and sell to wholesalers. The father's claims that he'd been trying the father claims that he's been trying to get the kids back since April. And after learning about the guns and weed usage in mid-May, he requested uh, Vermont DCF and local police carry out a wellness check on the property. Confirmed text between the father and Vermont social workers said that the that they visited the house May 16th and the kids looked good, noting that the worker had more work to do. Mounting legal troubles for the star have definitely been piling up. And after all of this, two more stories were told to Rolling Stone earlier this month. The first was Chase Iron Eyes and Sarah Jumping Eagle filing for an order of protection on behalf of their 18-year-old child, Gibson, a well-known Standing Rock activist alleging Miller groomed Gibson since meeting them as a child at 12 years old and earlier this year providing them with a high dose of LSD. And finally, on June 16th, another uh, parent secured a temporary restraining order against Miller on behalf of their 12-year-old child in Massachusetts, according to the Daily Beast. Miller set the star in Warner Brothers' upcoming movie, The Flash, but the latest accusations have caused an emergency meeting with the studio executives about uh, with the studio executives about their future with the franchise. The studio has a year before it has to make any decisions about a potential sequel to the fa- Flash and wait for it, and has avoided making any key decisions ahead of Discovery taking control of Warner Media in a forty-three billion dollar mega merger. This dude sounds fucked up on so many levels, and I hope there's enough evidence to put him in a place where he can do. uh, no more harm to anybody at all. Shame on Warner Brothers for safe harboring what seems to be a serial predator and public nuisance. But hey, given that last bit on their stalling to act ahead of a $43 billion mega merger, I'd say the true culprit here is capitalism. Follow the money. This is Rico Lameet, dopest dad on the street for State of Cannabis News Hour. Love to hear from the team on this one. I'm done. Oh my gosh. It was so much. Jeez. So, so much detail and i mean it's definitely triggering what the fuck <laughs> how is this guy still free right now besides money yeah i i, I yeah i don't i don't want to say like like too much but like this dude would be fucking dead <laughs> there's no way he would be fucking still alive if he was fucking with any of my friends family or even like near me like I, what who, the fuck? Who, who is even ezra miller in the first place because i've never even heard this guy's name before he plays the Flash on DC in the DC Extended of uh, Cinematic Universe. Um, superhero actor. So just more Hollywood pedophilia, huh? 
Ah, come on now. Um, seems like he wasn't doing anything, any of these acts in California or in Hollywood at all. Doesn't matter. Sounds if like he just has a lot of money and they can't stop him. Doesn't matter where you're doing the act at. The act is still just unjust, unmoral, un, un everything and fucking, just fucking crazy, batshit fucking crazy, bro. It's fucking nuts, man. Um, but yeah. Just sucks that, like, they have to highlight this with the cannabis part of it, you know, because the other part's really messed up, too. I mean, it's. It just sucks because I feel like they're just pulling cannabis in there, but having kids with bullets in their mouth is insane. Yeah, I mean, the, the cannabis thing got looped in there, obviously, because the two people who uh, who snitched on him to the Rolling Stone, um, they said that, yeah, there's lots of weed usage there. And then Rolling Stone, doing their investigative journalism thing, found out that dude got a fucking 96 acre acre trap farm in Vermont. And but his, that uh, wasn't like on the site where the kids were, right? Yes. Oh my bad. Apologies there. Yeah, and uh, his friend, the handyman uh, Whitney Souter, was on Facebook snitching about everything about about all all the trapping they've been doing on that on that farm. Twenty eight strains and uh, harvest is about to happen last year. Then snitches get stitches. Yep, Jason is your favorite kind, right? Stop snitching. Uh, all right. Anybody else uh, got to say anything about that one? I'm gonna keep it moving. I know today's an emotional day for all of us. All right. Up next, the private jet hopping longest continuously operating retailer in the industry with an affinity for the best weed in the world and identification and eradication of boof worldwide. He's also known across the pond as uh, the boof free bloke. Jason Beck, what you got for us today, my man? Happy Friday. Oh, yeah. Happy Friday, everyone. Hope everyone's ready for the weekend, having a fabulous day. Today, my story is basically part two of yesterday's story of exactly why every Gen Z voter is not going to vote for Joe Biden in the upcoming presidential election. Because of this action here alone, the FDA orders Jewel to stop selling e-cigarettes. That's right. The Food and Drug Administration on Thursday ordered Jewel to stop selling e-cigarettes on the U.S. market a profoundly damaging blow to a once popular company whose brand was blamed for the teeny teenage vaping crisis. The order affects all of Juul's products on the U.S. market, the overwhelming source of the company's sales. Juul's sleek vaping cartridges and sweet-flavored pods help usher in an era of alternative nicotine products that became exceptionally popular among young people and invited intense scrutiny from anti-smoking groups and regulators who feared they would do more harm to young people than good to former smokers. In its ruling, the agency said that Juul had provided insufficient and conflicting data about potentially harmful chemicals that could leach out of Juul's proprietary e-liquid pods. In a quote, today's action is further progress on the FDA's commitment to ensuring that all e-cigarette and electronic nicotine delivery system products currently being marketed to consumers meet our public health standards, Dr. Robert M. Califf, the agency's commissioner, said in a statement. The agency has dedicated significant resources to review products from the companies that account for most of the U.S. market. We recognize these make up a significant part of the available products, and many have played a disappropriate role in the rise in youth vaping. The move by the FDA is part of a wide-ranging effort to remake the rules for smoking and vaping products and to reduce illnesses and deaths caused by inhalable products containing highly addictive nicotine. 
the action against Juul in particular is part of a newer regulatory mission of, for the agency, which must determine with electronic cigarettes currently for sale or proposed for sale will be allowed on the U.S. shelves permanently now that the FDA has full authority over e-cigarettes. Today's action is further progress on the FDA's commitment to ensuring that all e-cigarettes and electronic nicotine delivery system products currently being marketed to consumers meet our public health standards. Dr. Robert M. Kellogg. Oh, shit. I'm sorry, guys. The agency's rules capped a nearly two-year review of data that Juul had submitted to try to win, uh, win authorization to continue selling its tobacco and menthol-flavored products in the United States. The application required the company to prove the safety of its devices and whether they were appropriate for protection of the public's health. The FDA ordered the removal of the market from Juul, its devices pods, including tobacco-flavored pods with nicotine, concentrations of 3% and 5%, and menthol-flavored pods with the same levels. Juul, in particular, had been the target of regulators, schools, policymakers, and uh, for, for years, starting in 2018, when the FDA began an investigation into Juul's marketing efforts. Before that time, Juul had advertised its product using attractive young models and flavors like cool cucumber and cream brulee that critics said attracted underage users. By April of 2018, the FDA announced a crackdown on the sale of such products, including Juul's, uh, to, to people under the age of 21. Use among young people had soared in 2017, 19% uh, of 12th graders, 16% of 10th graders, and 8% of 8th graders reported vaping nicotine in the past year. And those are just the ones that snitched on themselves, according to the Monitoring Future, an annual survey done for the National Institute of Drug Abuse. Some tobacco-controlled experts said the decision to ban Juul from the U.S. market could be counterproductive. Clifford Douglas, director of the Tobacco Research Network at the University of Michigan School of Public Health, said that many experts had come to see Juul, along with other e-cigarettes, as valuable tools for helping adult smokers quit controversial cigarettes. They are, they are off-ramps that can provide smokers an alternative to, to com com combustibles, which are responsible for virtually every death related to tobacco, he said. But now that off-ramp is being narrowed and sort of paved over, which is putting millions of adult lives at stake. Uh, one hopes Juul can respond effectively to the request for more scientific analysis, make any, um, make any product adjustments that may be called for, and again, offer their products to adults in need. Well, again, I'll tell you what, this is not the move. Prohibition never helped anybody. And this is just going to create more of an illicit market. Maybe I'm just going to open a trap store and sell tobacco vapes. And this is Jason Beck reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. I'm right on. I'm I'm right on with you uh, on this one, Jason. Like, what the fuck? Um, weren't they supposed to stop selling flavored nicotine? Was it like last yeah, year, was, the year before? That was, that was back in in uh, 2018, 2019, I believe that they that they had to switch their whole things. I, I touched on that briefly. Uh, in the article, but yes, that that was done, and then they, I believe, now they only had two or three flavors um, that that are available, and so that has been the, the real shift. I mean, that's 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 all bullshit too, because you go to any fucking Seven Eleven, you see a full wall of flavored fucking vapes everywhere, but not Jewel flavored vapes. <laughs> <laughs> no, you see Jewel compatible pods. Exactly. Jewel compatible pods <laughs> with creme brulee and all of their fun marketing techniques. So a whole new black market opens up, huh? I mean, the trap will never die. As long as, long as we have rules and regulations put out by this government, there's going to be people making money off of the other side. So <laughs> Getting people 
the shit that they so want. We see everybody start switching to growing tobacco. <laughs> <laughs> tobacco and avocado. <laughs> Extraction, extracting nicotine. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, good morning. This is Dr. Felicia. I, I get what you all are, are saying about the prohibition part of it and, and, and it going underground, that kind of thing. However, I do know that when kids start smoking tobacco spiked with nicotine early, it's that much harder for them to stop as adults. And I don't know why Juul's products um, are falling into the hands of kids so, so much, um, but apparently they didn't get their act together uh, sufficiently before the FDA jumped in. So uh, what can I say? Dr. Dr. Felicia, why would you say spiked with nicotine? Um, they're adding nicotine in. I know, but nicotine, nicotine is listed as an ingredient. And so it's not, it's not that it's yeah. being spiked. Being spiked means it's like we had a punch bowl and we poured a bunch of vodka in there. Unnecessary amounts of nicotine. Unnecessary amounts. Nicotine is very addicting, very addictive. Totally agree with you, Dr. Felicia. Uh, the thing with Jewel is um, it was revealed that their entire game plan um, before they went public, like, like all that shit, um, was targeted at children. <laughs> their, their entire being, <laughs> their, their entire marketing plan was, was aimed at children. And it was taken uh, like almost verbatim uh, the same playbook that the tobacco industry used um, uh, decades ago. So um, it, it, it was it was meant to be that way from the beginning. And I think this is more of the same, the government saying that something is going to be better for you or they're putting out a, a product and approving of it like, early or not, at least not admonishing it early. And then they have to cover their tracks and try to fix it later on, uh, creating a vacuum and a bunch of people who are already addicted to these things. And, um, and now you're gonna try to take it away. And there's gonna be just more enforcement and more arrests later down the, uh, down the line, and it's just it's, it's all fucked up. Well, I'm sure I'm sure they saw the writing on the wall because they purchased an entire medical journal, and put it full of all their articles to support their existence. So, if you have that kind of money and you're gonna go to those those lengths to purchase your uh, right to exist. There's something going on there that that's un, that's like unchecked capitalism. And what's terrifying? Yeah, well, it's, 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 I thought I thought that I thought that part of living in a free country was the ability to purchase products that will fuck you up, so that way you have the freedom of choice for how fucked up you want to get. But the right. other thing, well, I mean, I, I, I don't like I don't like capitalism masquerading as research. I agree, and right. I think if you really look at right now, it's like we're just coming out of this pandemic or whatever. People are stressed. Money is really tight. Now they're going to have to buy more to get the same amount. I agree that I don't think Jewel should be doing all the stuff they're doing, but I also think if you look at an overall basis, it's a little scary. And are they tell strictly? Are they tested? Is what I want to know. Yeah, and they, and they and they could afford to buy whatever medical journal they want after um, Altria. Dun, dun, dun. We talked about them yesterday. After Altria bought them for $12.8 billion back in December 2018. That was only, so, uh, I believe they only purchased 30% of, of, of Juul at that time for the $12.8 yeah. billion valuation. Yeah, correct. And, and their valuation was, I think, was like, like $40 billion, some shit like that. It was, it, was, it was crazy. So, like, when you have that kind of money, that's when capitalism gets unchecked and you can do shit like this. 
it's going to be a long road ahead into legalization because uh, big tobacco, big alcohol, big pharma got all the money. And um, we got to make sure we get proper, uh, accurate information out to the people. Let's keep it moving, Jason. All right. Coming up next, this doctor has been around so long that he probably wrote your parents' medical cannabis recommendation. This doctor is has had more patients than liberals waiting in line in a President Biden book signing. That's right. Founder of Medican and co-founder of the CESC, the nonprofit cannabis research organization. It's none other than Dr. Gene Talleyrand. Please give us our daily dose. Thanks, Jason. Uh, hello, everyone. I want to start off by saying it's a sad day today as women's right to privacy has been overturned by the U.S. Supreme Court. Just learned. But my headline today is from the New York Times. It's titled Psychosis, Addiction, Chronic Vomiting. As weed becomes more potent, teens are getting sick by Christina Karen. Before you read this article, it's important to understand the difference between correlative and causative. When two events happen after an intervention, they are called correlative. Causative is when one event is proven to cause another's event. It's important to understand that correlative is not causative. Ms. Karen writes about two teens, Elise and Johnny. Both used vape pens at an early age. Both had negative outcomes. Elise experienced recurrent vomiting and was diagnosed with cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome. Despite that, she became addicted to vape pens. Johnny, while using vape pen cartridges, didn't communicate much with his parents, grew reclusive, and eventually committed suicide. Ms. Karen proposes that the high-potency THC of vape pens may be the cause of these negative outcomes, and so they should be regulated. Her evidence of an association between vape pen use and negative outcomes is correlative and not causative. Prohibitionists have been taken have taken to using the argument that newer products are not like the weed of old. Newer cannabis is more THC and thus is more dangerous. Beatrice Carlini, a research scientist at the University of Washington's Addictions, Drug and Alcohol Institute, writes in a report that THC concentrates are, quote, as close to the cannabis plant as strawberries are to frosted strawberry Pop-Tarts. My thought is that both strawberries and strawberry Pop-Tarts are equally regulated and available at the supermarket. Using prohibitionist arguments, it could be said that whiskey should be more regulated than wine, and extra strength Tylenol should be more regulated than regular strength Tylenol. It reminds me of the argument against supersized drinks. At the time, I wondered why people didn't just buy a small or medium-sized drink or maybe just stop sipping on a soft drink after a while and put it down. The often repeated message that things happen to us rather than we have control over our own action feeds an unhealthy blame game. The size matters message is misleading for both appendages and cannabis products. My message is that all sizes matter. As for Elise and Johnny, the teens in the article, the common threat to the negative outcome appears to be their relationship with their parents. Elise's parents chose tough love to address her cannabis addiction, 
whereas Johnny's parents chose to ignore his use of cannabis completely. In the kitchen, rather than insisting that all knives are dulled to prevent injury, we learn to properly handle the sharper knives. At this point, the cat is out of the bag. Cannabis products of all types are and will continue to be available. Prohibiting certain products misses the opportunity for education. Education is key to improving outcome and reducing liabilities in all circumstances. We know that a shot of whiskey is equal to a glass of wine, which is equal to a bottle of beer. The best approach to high potency THC is to know your dosage. The cannabis industry also needs to get involved. We use THC concentration as a marker of value, possibly because we are enamored with the high, but maybe also because we haven't explored the full potential of cannabis. Cannabis is more than THC. There are different types of cannabis, some with low THC. All types can be promoted in the marketplace. More than the high, cannabis can be relaxing, energizing, calming, or even arousing. Product and effect stratification will only improve the bottom line. Meanwhile, having open conversations with your child about cannabis products is the best way to help teens like Elise and Johnny. This is Dr. Jean Talleyrand reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Wow, so impactful. Um, I'm 100% with you, especially as I'm in the process of working with my brand and being able to look at this plant and providing experiences. And I know folks like Jason, you'll be like, I just want a, the highest THC. But I really think it's so critical for us to look at the all the beautiful parts of this plant from the terpenes and then also from formulations and blends that you can make where you add mushrooms and different minerals and uh, when it comes to gummies it doesn't always have to be about like how high can i get and as a as a mom that has you know uh grown i have a teenager and and an adult son these conversations definitely need to be had in regards to the expectation of this plant and the goodness of this plant and it's not about just getting high yeah most kids under medical supervision don't get addicted to uh cannabis like this so it's you know, and even if they start out do, taking it recreational, they can be turned around by a provider who can guide them. And also you have to ask, you know, don't just look at the addiction, ask why the pain, ask why the pain. This, this I, piece is nothing more than a prohibitionist puff piece. This right, is Jason. once again, Joanna Cedar here. This is once again, the public relations arm of the Public Health Institute. And Lynn Silver, who is pushing in California SB 1097, which is horrible legislation, and um, we certainly hope it does not pass, but this is the, the arm of her public relations campaign pushing into the New York Times and, and spreading this garbage. It's really just horrible, horrible message. Thank you for chiming in on that, uh, uh, jo uh, Joanna, and thank you for taking but that wing at this story. But you don't think it's something to be said about you know, we don't. We do see a lot of folks coming and going into retailers and just asking for the highest level of THC in order to, like, even just how um, Dr. Jean worded, like, we need to look at this, this plant more than just THC. You don't think that's a, that's, a point of Raj, you have to do. You have to do a whole public education campaign if you want to change consumers' buying habits. And until that happens, nothing is going to change. Yeah, and and like like my my only 
my only uh, stance on this story is is it, it, we're going to have with more dispensaries and more access to the plant you're just going to have like more people that are getting sick um, and, just period i don't think there were you know there certainly aren't controls here sometimes there are people who have negative reactions to cannabis it's not necessarily right. a product of abuse you know you can have changes in your body where something you used to tolerate whether it was food or something outside or something you might inhale you suddenly can't tolerate it anymore your body almost treats it like an allergy doesn't necessarily mean that it is the pathway to someone's schizophrenia or psychosis people develop that for other reasons not just because they consumed cannabis exactly exactly brandon and i think that's um that's why it was so important when uh, Dr. Dr. Jean said that like, correlation is not causation. And we have to be like very careful like around stuff like this. It's, there's, there's not enough there's not enough evidence to say that you know it, it's just you know like the potent weed that's is, is getting people sick. We, yeah, it, it, look, it's still hypocrisy when you have. You know, I just looked this up. There are 2,200 alcohol poisoning related deaths every year in the U.S. and zero cannabis deaths. So when we want to just not be hypocritical and talk about what the killers are, I won't even get into the potential opioid deaths, right? So really, cannabis, again, and I do agree that some people have THC sensitivity. Some people do react poorly, but you can react poorly to anything, you know, to just throw cannabis back under the bus again because of these you know, fringe, like one or two people or a percentage of people. It's just not, it's just not fair. It's the same bullshit over and over again. Agree so much. Time for Anybody? a relight. Let's re relight. Grab your consulting adult, uh, adult partner and pack your bong or your bowl. Here's a little more Rico on robot for our disclaimer. Listener discretion is advised. Let's keep smoking the news. Les, you can just call me Dr. Roboto. This Florida-based international bouse lady holds down head honcho duties for ultimate lifestyle brand, Black Buddha Cannabis. But that's not it. She's also maintained dual titles for six years as founder and CEO for Minorities for Medical Marijuana at the same damn time. Come to the stage next. It's Roz McCarthy. Glad to have you on this beautiful Friday morning and Friday afternoon. Uh, hey, it is afternoon here in Florida. Um, thanks for having me. Good morning, everyone on the West Coast and afternoon on the East Coast. Um, this is going to be a hot topic, I'm sure. So get ready, Jason um, and Rico. So uh, this is coming from Marijuana Moment. Marijuana banking reform will not be enacted as a part of the manufacturing bill congressional le leaders agree. Uh, marijuana banking reform will not be included in the large-scale manufacturing bill that's being negotiated in a bicameral conference committee congressional leaders from both parties have agreed. In the interest of getting the largest legislation passed more expedi expeditiously before the August recess, Senate Majority Leader Schumer, 
Minority Leader McConnell, House Speaker Leader Pelosi, and Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy met this week to scale the bill down. That included ceding to a Republican demand to keep the secure and fair enforcement, better known as Safe Banking Act, out of the legislation. Um, it was never guaranteed that the cannabis banking bill would make it into the America Competes um, conference report, despite the House including it in its version before heading to conference. Schumer, for his part, has repeatedly suggested he is uncomfortable making the narrow financial reform ahead of broader justice-focused cannabis legalization, and his office had tempered expectations about the possibility of safe being enacted through the manufacturing bill early on the on the or early on in the bicameral talks. Lead Safe Banking Act sponsor, Representative L. Ed Perlmutter, reacted strongly to the news that the bicameral leaders had agreed to keep his legislation from advancing yet again. The Senate, and quote, the Senate continues to ignore the public safety risk of forcing cannabis businesses to deal in all cash. In the wake of the Senate's inaction, people continue to be killed, businesses continue to be robbed, and employees and business owners in the cannabis industry continue to be excluded from the financial system. I'm just appalled at the lack of urgency here, said Earl, uh, said Representative Earl Blumenauer on a phone interview with Marijuana Moment on Thursday. There are some who feel this cannot wait, this can wait, that we need to have more agreement on some of the restorative justice pieces of, of cannabis reform, for instance. I'm making as forcefully, forcefully as I can, the argument that the very people that care about most, who've been discriminated against, who've been jailed, who've been denied economic opportunity, these are the people that are on the front lines that are paying the price for the failure to pass the Safe Banking Act, he said. Um, as, and the article goes on, um, Perlmutter continues and says, I will continue to push for safe banking to be included in competes and other legislative vehicles or for the Senate to finally take up this standalone version of the bill, which has been sitting in the Senate for three and a half years. One possibility would be to include the legislation as a package of incremental reforms that is apparently being discussed as an alternative to a comprehensive legalization bill that Schumer and colleagues are finalizing. It could also potentially get a ride in the latest version of the National Defense Authorization Act, NDAA. The House included cannabis banking provisions in its version of the bill last year, but could not reach an agreement with the Senate to enact as a part of the final package the House Armed Services Committee marked up for the 2023 version of the NDAA on Wednesday. And it is possible that the safe banking could be added as a floor amendment once more. We will work on every single avenue and anything that's moving where we have a chance. We will dive into that blue and hour told a marijuana moment. I'm working hard. I'm working hand in glove with my friend Ed Perlmutter. If there's an opportunity to put something on the floor for a vote, we will do that. The congressman said that if the Safe Banking Act were put on the floor as a standalone proposal, he predicts that it would easily meet and exceed the 60 vote threshold needed to pass the Senate. But in any case, the lack of safe banking in America competes is a setback for supporters, especially considering the number of lawmakers from both chambers who insisted that the issue is a priority and vowed to push for its inclusion. Um, I'll, I can go on and, and continue the conversation, but there's a, a point um, that I wanted to talk about. There's uh, several different organizations like the Cannabis Regulators Association, 
which doesn't take a stand on legalization. It also sent a letter to congressional leaders outlining areas of concerns for their state's respective markets under the status quo of federal prohibition. Also, there's the Cannabis Regulators of Color Coalition has also weighed in on the cannabis banking conundrum, arguing in a Marijuana Moment op-ed that the Safe Banking Act is insufficient. The group says advocates should push to add provisions to the bill providing interim safeguards for community financial depository institutions and minority depository institutions, as well as measures to to prevent predatory lending and promote loan uh, availability for people from disadvantaged communities. Meanwhile, the governor, attorney general, and other top officials in Washington state sent a letter to congressional leaders last month, month, again, emphasizing the urgent need to pass marijuana banking reform as a public safety imperative. Some Republicans are scratching their heads about how Democrats have so far failed to pass the modest banking reform with majorities in both chambers and control of the White House, too. And I'll leave it like that. I'm Roz McCarthy signing off for the State of Cannabis News Hour. We'd love to hear your feedback and comments. Roz, I'm totally with you on that last sentence. It is that last sentence. That, it, it baffles me. me that Democrats have control of it both is, houses and and the executive branch and can't get shit done for fucking cannabis. Yeah, well, they're not willing to put their, you know, I guess that party above. The, their morals, maybe we could say. But hey, I guess I, I just joined this call and I guess I wanted to just step in. This is Lara. Sorry, guys. Um, I don't know if you've talked about it yet, but two reps last night introduced the CLIMB Act. They're calling it the Capital Lending and Investment for Marijuana Businesses Act. Um, it's out of Troy Carter, who's a Democrat out of Louisiana, so Southern Democrat, take that for what it is, and uh, Guy Ruskenthaler, who's a Republican out of Pennsylvania. And they're touting it as offering protections for financial leaders and government agencies to offer, offer financial assistance to cannabis companies. I'm not sure if this is something that we could help, you know, work the the, the conversation forward with, but, you know, there there are alternatives coming. Um, and, 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 and let me just, let me frame this up. The Safe Banking Act, in part or in totality, has been going on, has been going back and forth in both chambers of, of, our, of our government for over four years almost six years, if I'm not mistaken. So the CLIMB Act was just reintroduced. It is totally a separate supportive to safe banking. Safe banking is about depository, about being able to deposit and extract money from and, and, and having banks not fear retribution. The CLIMB Act is about the agencies who control funding and resources to also be able to allocate those resources without fear. So they are... Yes, they're both on an access to capital perspective, and some people disagree with the climax and think that it's the opportunity for big cannabis to thrive. And there's an argument for that, but there's also an argument that there needs to be some type of infusion of resources, capital, um, access to capital, even capital markets, not only for large businesses, but for small minority disadvantaged businesses as well. And so that's my position. That's Roz McCarthy as right. my position, and we go from there. Raz, 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 uh, you, you know, there's like one of the few things that we heavily disagree upon. And I'd like to just say to everybody who has been in support of safe banking and the carpetbaggers getting their due, I'd like to say to you, Jason, I'm very, very happy for once that the government has finally fucked safe banking. They have not fucked safe banking. Fuck <laughs> safe banking is going to prevail. <laughs> Safe banking. <laughs> Enrico, it's easy for you to be a naysayer at safe banking when you're not even a license holder. 
but nonetheless, <laughs> because it doesn't affect hey, you. Hey, it doesn't affect me, but it does affect everybody exactly. without licenses. It, it, it affects it every affect black you. person. It, it affects every affect black you. person who gets exactly. fucked over, by, who gets fucked over by the same fucking system in mainstream America. We need to handle other shit first. Like how many social inequities that's no, no, no. How many how many things? How many things does our government pass and then like later, later on, months, years, decades later, you're like, oh yeah, we fucked over the black community again. We should have done this the other way. You, should, you guys gotta handle the fucking shit uh tied to the war on drugs and the, these disparaged communities first before you give all of these other motherfuckers with a lot of money already, you, before you give them access to the thing that's gonna put them in the fucking dirt. And so, this is so, it. So, so Rico, ideally that in an ideal world. I, I agree with you, but we live in a world of politics, and if we're not looking at historically how we get, uh, how how do we get, um, ref, um, you know, legislation and language and and change, it doesn't come with a big old hammer. We have to figure out and play play the inside out game, create some strategy, and also look at this uh, sometimes from a pragmatic lens. But I agree with you hundred percent. It's it's easy to take that position. When you're in the position that you are, when you're when you are in a position of privilege, it's easy to say like, "Oh yeah, we need to trust the system. We need to do this. We need to do that." No, the I'm, system is fucked us over for generation after generation after generation. It's the fucking system that is fucked up, and it needs to be fucking smacked upside its head with a hammer, in my opinion. Uh, awesome. yeah, okay, well, let's let um, let's let our our listeners on stage just have a have a word in here. Tariq, do you want to go Absolutely, right ahead or please. Sorry. Yeah, Sorry. Yes. I, 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 I'm down here in Florida. I, I am a license holder, um, but I, trying to raise money has been extremely difficult. You know, I have had the benefits of luckily living in Florida where I could do events and we can basically at any pop-up event sell pretty much anything. Um, of course, there's a whole bunch of underground stuff, but trying to actually get more money to do more things has clearly been <laughs> issue for everyone. So like, you know, what other ways can I do it? You know, I've I'm looking at ways of putting my license because I, you know, restaurants down here are now putting the license into their spot where now they can sell CBD products. And that looks like a way that I can kind of just like stay within the, you know, the realm of making money. And I, I, I'm fortunate to have restaurant friends. So that's been the route that I've been looking at. But I mean, when it comes down to banking, like I'm just hoping not, <laughs> you know, PayPal or someone else doesn't figure out what's going on. Just trying to see what, what else I can do. Someone of the black I, community. <laughs> I, I, and I will tell you, his Tariq's comment about access to capital banking, I hear it all the time. And for you guys to think that when you have reform on the banking side, that it's not going to help help black and brown businesses, that it's not going to be able to get them and, uh, and push them down the field a little bit more. Do we need the social justice reform? Yes. Do we need social equity reform? Yes. But basic banking right now he is not an anomaly he is one of many people i talk to every single day who are getting accounts closed down and they're black and brown people so i don't understand why we cannot look at this uh, from a, a, a angle of that there is going to be d disproportionate support and dis disproportionate success for big cannabis businesses because they already have resources and they already are plugged in but that doesn't mean that those smaller businesses are not going to also benefit and be able to push forward and be successful. Yeah, Florida has the top two, you know, they have True Leaf and Cure Leaf here, you know, so clearly the money is being circulated. <laughs> so it's just like, how do I get it? Thanks, Tariq. Uh, this, this is Sun Ra, uh, and I appreciate everybody. I'm going to just 
uh, turn left a little bit on, on the perspective because to me, if we deal and talk about Congress and what they're doing, we're talking about they're playing a three card Molly game with this safe banking. It's a distraction so that those monopoly that the Congress work with where 535 members of Congress and two thirds of them are in the pocketbooks of pharmaceutical companies and there's 1500 lobbyists for pharmaceutical companies, then we might say that that Congress really doesn't care about these issues. And I would suggest as uh, a brother in the industry that we just focus on how we can bring forth our own solutions and be, in, be innovative because they got a game they're playing. They don't care about the people. The people have asked for the plant and now they're over here talking like they want to give it to us and it's bullshit. And we just got to focus on how we could come together and bring solutions to what we think is a problem. Peace. All love, Sunra. Thank you for that. Amen. That's a, that's a good point, Sunra. Right. Hey, Roz. Roz, I'd like <clears throat> yes. to frame something for you this way. If we give, if they get safe banking, forget expungement and forget descheduling. When you give away that leverage to those That's folks, not true. That's that perpetuating class, fear, Eric. Hey, let me speak, man. You've had the floor. Let me speak. When you give that up, forget it. There's no leverage left. And what we are talking about with, it's not four years old, Roz, it's eight years old. It's reheated FinCEN. And you're going to have suspicious activity reports. You're going to have to do, you know, any amount greater than 10,000. There's going to be all that stuff. So this isn't you like already this have to open create freeway. Those reports now. Hey, man, I'm speaking. All right. So I just wanted to frame it for that way for you, Roz. So think about zero leverage now for any equity. That's gone. It's off the table. Just wanted to leave you with that. I think I think Eric, your point is definitely taken, and it is, as you can imagine, it is a it's a, a conundrum, and it is a, a it pulls you from left to right because the other thing is is that you're talking about people's freedom and descheduling and being able to decriminalize this plant, and and so I get it one hundred percent. I just hear so many folks that are like Tariq who are in this bind who have already you know we have different pockets of group who need different help as it pertains to this plan and the legalization of it and you have some that are on the social justice side some that are on the social equity side and which one should come first which one is a priority do you think about the young man that's put all their life savings and they're almost at the end of being able like literally starting back to zero and having nothing and so um i i hear you and i acquiesce and say you know it's not a a one-size-fit-all solution and it's there in the more act the more act has and i agree and, and i and support and that's and, why republicans right and i do support it. the more act and i and i am 100 understanding exactly where you're coming from eric and it's just our politics in our country um sonara sonara your point was so um apropos because we don't understand that sometimes people are just playing each playing both sides against the other knowing that there's a bigger 800 you know, pound person in the room, and that's the pharma company uh, industry that has the ability to slow down or speed up our legalization and all of the things that we're looking for, in my opinion. Well, that was an amazing conversation. Thank you, guys. That's been, that's been fantastic. And I get the last word on this. And I'm going to say, pass safe 
thank you. Thank everybody else, too, man. Thank you, everybody else, for your comments on that. 100%, without a doubt. Without a doubt. Thanks to everybody. Happy Friday. And pass safe banking. This beard was born and bred in New York. Maybe that's why this beard commands such a presence, because, baby, it's cold outside. So cold that the beard was compelled to move to sunny Long Beach, California, where the beard received a law degree. Known in the bar exam as the Brandon Beard Award for high scores, this intellectual and IP attorney and CEO of Fruit Slabs is none other than Brandon Dorsky. Let's go, Brandon. What do you have for us today? Uh, thanks for having me. My headline is first ever California State Fair Cannabis Awards and Competition announces winners, as reported on businesswire.com. The California State Fair Cannabis Awards announced its inaugural winning cultivars and cultivators from the Golden State. There were over 300 entrants evaluated, and a total of 60 trophies and medals were distributed, which included gold and silver medals, as well as standout awards for the best of California, known as the Golden Bear Award. California Exposition and State Fair Board of Director Chair Jess Durfee said, adding cannabis cultivation alongside wines, craft beer, cheese, and olive oil was a perfect fit with the state, California State Fair's history of celebrating California's rich agriculture history. The competition assessed flour from three categories, indoor, mixed light, and outdoor, it also focused on the presence of certain cannabinoids. All products were lab tested by SC Labs, and test results determined the cannabinoid content of entrance products, including covering CBDA, CBGA, THCA, as well as terpenes, including myrcene, beta-carophylline, limonene, osamine, terpenoline, pinene, and a co-dominant category. Award-winning cannabis comes from the immac immaculate care, craft, and skill in the drying, curing, and preservation of the most, uh, sorry, uh, of the quality indicators that cannabis produces, which are the terpenes and other trace volatile compounds present in any given cultivar, said SC Labs co-founder Alec Dixon. Winners were, were also provided with a registered digital certificate commemorating their award. The certificates will be registered with blockchain technology to authenticate the product. Winning product will be showcased at the California Cannabis exhibit at the California State Fair from July 15th to 31st later this year. The exhibit will take people 21 and up on an educational trip concerning the cannabis plant and its history in California. Uh, Mocha Humboldt ended up as a standout in the indoor cannabinoid categories and earned two Golden Bear Awards. Their vice president of marketing, Aaron Salas, said of the competition's merits, we love the science-based lab testing involved with this competition and are honored to be a part of the legendary California State Fair. I believe we have him in the room with us today, and he just joined the stage, so I'd love to hear from him about this competition and his participation in it. Well, thank you very much, Brandon. Uh, very happy to be here, and we at Mocha Humboldt are very humbled and over the moon for this recognition of our hard work. For many of us, you know, this is, uh, at the company, this is a validation of our life's work, and that's, that means a lot to us. Uh, as far as the competition is concerned, um, I think the second part of my quote um, that you didn't read off there was that this competition also helps lend legitimacy not just to our personal lives about our career paths, but as well as our entire industry. And I would also like to advocate for this award format as well. I know there's been a little bit of um, skepticism that a testing-based format for a competition is even a good idea 
And I'd like to make the case that it's a great idea for us at Mocha Humboldt, our indoor grown flower, which we grow in soil, um, and we try to inoculate with life, although we do not claim to have living soil, um, along with our um, extreme environmental controls and our drying and our trimming and our storage rooms is how we've really worked um, to do terpene preservation and terpene development. And this competition is a really good way for us to bring that information and education to the public. Not only did we win two golden bears uh, for the two cannabinoid categories, including THCA and CBGA, um, those are strictly based on cannabinoids. We're actually much more proud of the uh, gold medals that we've won uh, for our grape cookies, uh, which was the highest osamine um, uh, testing in the indoor category, as well as the highest CBGA in indoor and outdoor. That particular flower has that intersectionality of the benefits of osamine as well as the benefits of CBGA. It was the most awarded flower at the competition. And for us, modern cannabis means highlighting this type of medicine on our counter right next to our Wookiees, uh, which also took a golden bear for THCA. So we are looking to defy the THC driven marketplace by bringing other flowers that we can cultivate in a beautiful way with all of the terpenes and all of the wonderful consumable effects that we want it to have to help uh, elevate medical strains and help uh, educate the public that the cannabis plant is medicine. And we also want to unapologetically get high. And we um, we intend to put that forward in our, our brand. So thank you for the uh, opportunity to speak up here. Um, we're over the moon and, and very grateful. Thank you. I'm curious, did the products with the highest THC content win, win the event? So we we actually did submit um, the sample with the highest THCA content, and we did win a golden bear for THCA. That same sample also won a gold medal, um, I guess also for THCA it was. But um, like I said, our grape cookies, the golden bears are strictly for highest cannabinoid content, regardless of indoor, mixed light, or outdoor. So while the golden bears did focus on cannabinoids, um, I think about the majority of the golds and silvers did focus on terpenes. You know, we we consider ourselves a terpene marketing, terpene forward marketing company. Um, you know, we put the total THCA um, number on our on our labeling, on our packaging. We de-emphasize that and put that at the very bottom of the list where we list our terpene content first, as well as the three dominant terpenes you're going to get in that flower, as well as we cherry pick from the cannabinoid analysis to put things of significance on there. And we list all of those things at a higher level of hierarchy than um, than total THC. While we believe THC is important, it is the motor. Terpenes are the steering wheel. And we also believe that there's different terps for different derps. And if we don't bring this information and if we don't actually test for these terpenes, that's another thing. I actually implore all companies to test for terpenes. There's not enough of us doing it. And I'd also like to figure out how we can get more people into this competition next yeah. year. So uh, terpene testing was a requirement. I love it, Aaron. I appreciate you. Appreciate your comment on there. And Dr. Dr. John, I see what you're doing there. But we got to keep it moving yeah, so we can close it out today. So um, closing us out, bringing us home. Wait it's one well second. Uh, Rico, hold on one second. I think we had Nick on the stage for a comment. So let's let him have 30 right, seconds. Yeah. Nick, Thanks. give it to us, man. Can you do it in 20 hey, seconds, brother? Hey, Aaron, I, I do love you, brother. But I do have a, a, a very alternate opinion on that test results from a retail standpoint, because we have so many people coming in from distribution um, elements that are 
driving their uh, price point on their products specifically on test results. So I think that this takes away from the actual quality derivative of a competition like this and drives it specifically towards test results. I love what you guys are doing with your flower and I love the test, the, the, the terpene aspect, but um, I, I just think that revolving the entire competition around test results is, is giving the distribution elements the, the, a, a little bit of a, uh, an arm up in the industry. Thank you, Nick. Appreciate you, brother. Let's keep it moving. All right, so to close this out, this well-known and revered industry OGs and veteran, dope dad and defender of the culture, never scared to speak up for the industry's legacy. Up next, the co-founder and CEO of 2022 Emerald Cup champion, Poppin Barkley, is here to bless us with the gospel of Guy Rocourt. What you got for us, my man? Bring us home. Ah, thank you, team. Um, yeah, look, I have an article about, you know, that should be positive but it's filled with hypocrisy on this sad day where there's even more hypocrisy. I feel like I have to say it, like everything we've been talking about is kind of important, but it's also kind of not. We are about to lose our nation. And if you think they're not coming for weed, you're wrong. They came for the women. They're gonna come for LGBTQ. They're probably gonna come for black people. If you are not a white Christian in America right now, you should be concerned and dropping everything and getting ready to protest. Think about how you're gonna reorganize your life and save this nation come Monday. Take the weekend, but come Monday, we need to be out on these streets because shit just got real. And for the other correspondents, we want to talk about the 20-year legacy of, 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 a, of, a, of a fucking, oh, I'm so incensed, of a party that has strategically worked to destroy America, to put their morals all over us. It is ridiculous. So this article coming out of T-Rev TV says that the MLB Green lighting CBD ads is the first step of broader advertising to television. So it says, might CBD brands soon become national advertisers supporting the U.S.? Question mark. Well, the reality allegedly just got closer because MLB will allow CBD brands to sponsor and put patches on their players. However, we don't know if those patches can be televised because that would be CBD advertising. So they don't really speak about that. They also go on to say that the NSF, which I'm not sure, I've seen that logo, not sure about what that organization does, has to certify that there are no psychoactive levels of THC. That's what it says in the article. We actually got an inbound query from the MLB saying that the products had to have no THC in them, which I don't believe is accurate. I think that Jeff Chen and others are dropping studies right now showing how CBD isolate is not effective and that only whole plant ratios with CBD are effective. So not sure. Again, it's that hypocrisy of like, oh yeah, we'll take those dollars for the patches, but we really don't know if we can advertise. We really don't know if we want our players to stand with us. We're not looking at the science, the troves of science that show that it would help not only MLB players, but of course we know traumatic injury, brain injury from football players would also be helped. So I know we're out of time and I'm sorry, but you guys, the most important thing that you should know right now is our nation just actually got stolen from us and somebody else's morals a, a minor small group has now pushed their morals all over us and i do believe they are coming for everybody that disagrees with them and we need to do something about it today i'm gee rocret reporting for the state of cannabis news hour love you gee thank you gee got us liz that was a great show thank you guys i wish we had a little more time i'd love to hear more uh, talk about gee's story but 
if you missed any of it, you can catch it anywhere you get your podcasts. So please subscribe and leave us a review. A big thank you to the correspondents that comb through all the headlines each day to bring us just what we need to know. A big thank you to Rico and Jason for co-producing the show and to our pinup girl today, Jaja Simone Brown. Thank you, audience, for being an important part of our show. You've had your daily dose, so now go out there and make the world a better place. we got a lot to do. So thank you again for uh, coming to join us. You've been tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we collectively move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Start your morning on a high note and join us every weekday, 9 a.m. Pacific time for the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Everybody, make sure you're super, super empathetic today and this weekend over that Roe v. Wade shit. Shit shit has just got real. Love y'all. See y'all Monday. Take care, everybody. Stay safe. Don't do stupid shit. Thank you. Bye.